Welcome to Sunburnt Country Music, interviews with Australian country music artists. My name is Sophie and I have been interviewing Australian country music artists for over a decade and I still love it. I love their stories, I love their insights and I love their music. So I hope you enjoy hearing from them on this podcast. Two-Tone Pony formed in 2018 with five members who all have extensive musical experience and they started gigging in 2021. Last year, they went into the studio to record some songs with producer Rod McCormick, and now their first single, A Life Well Lived, has been released. Founding member David Kirkpatrick is going to tell us about it and about the band. Hi, David. Thanks, Sophie. Thank you very much. Yeah, well, this has been a great experience for me, um, going, getting into my own band for a while, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to ask you about the band and a bit about your musical backgrounds. But So I will start with Two Tone Pony because I I believe it was your idea to put this band together. So why did you decide to create it? Uh, Well, I can put that down to my daughter, Hannah, actually. She was getting married in 2018 and she said to me she wanted me to put together the house band for (laughs) for the the wedding was on on a farm site and it was in a big barn and we were going to have a great big sort of you know party afterwards and she specifically said she wanted a country rock band which was great because I've played music all my life despite working in medicine but most of the time it's been in cover bands and so I put together this you know country rock band and um, pulled together well my brother-in-law Greg Richardson on drums, so uh, he's uh, obviously known him for a long time, and but we've never played together in a band, so that was fabulous. Pulled together two other people from uh, bands I'd previously worked with on the Central Coast, Ian Rhodes and Graham Puglisi in a previous band. And, uh, well, actually, that was the core of that band. Later on, I added our keyboard player, Glenn Willey, who... Uh, was a person who came up to me in year 11 at school and said, hey, I understand you play drums. Would you like to join a band with me? Uh-huh. So, and he and I played music all through university. Uh, he went off to become a dental surgeon. I went off to become an emergency medicine physician. And anyway, here we are now playing music again together. So we enjoyed that so much that I said, look, this is what I want to do. I'm retiring from medicine. It was mm-hmm. just at that right time. and But I said... I don't want to be a covers band anymore. I want to try and write my own stuff and do something original. And that's what we tried to do. And we worked on that. We had COVID intervene. So we sort of had time where we couldn't go out and gig, but we we spent that time uh, constructively and we got together and we put together these songs and yeah, that's where we're at now. So a slight detour away from this, though, the fact that Glenn's a a dental surgeon, you've worked in emergency medicine. I'm wondering uh, if you feel that maybe when you were studying when you were younger that your interest and ability in music offered you something in terms of learning, like opened up parts of your brain or channels Uh, of your brain that mightn't have been there. Yeah, well, well, that's what they say. I mean, it's very common. There's a lot of doctors who play music and, uh, you know, they'll talk about right, left brain. Um, It's... I mean, I think it's very important that you have something to step away from work. Um, Mm -hmm. Any of these high pressures, whether you're a a teacher or a paramedic or a lawyer, um, if you continually bring your work home, Mm -hmm. it's it's going to cause you your psyche problems. And you have to, unfortunately, have to compartmentalise things. I mean, people say to me, how could you 
have people come in terribly traumatised and you just go in there and work on them and you don't get upset. I said, well, I, I'd be useless to that person if I was. I wouldn't be doing my job. But what, what, how, what help would I be to them if I was getting all uptight? Because that's not what they want. They want someone to go, this is what I need to do for you. So I somehow had that ability to do that. It wasn't mm -hmm. something I chose, and it's a part of medicine that a lot of people don't want to do. Yes. Um, so uh, the same thing, uh, when I came home, I was tried very much that I didn't bring my work home. Obviously, my wife, Jane, is a nurse. I can discuss things with her, but... Um, and But... I think it was important. It's important to have a passion. I mean, medicine was a passion, but that, that's your only passion. You, you, you're not complete. You, everyone should have a passion, you know, and as many passions as they want. I mean, really, don't, don't have one. Have as many as you can. And obviously music was not a hobby to me. It was a passion. I, I grew up where music was just a way of life and normal to have people sitting in the same room as you, composing songs and mm. writing lyrics and bouncing ideas off them, but, you know, listening to my parents talking about songs and what they might do. So it was a perfectly natural thing for me. Uh, and I, I always played music, but you don't have the time when you've got a, a full-time career like emergency medicine to actually follow much through. So that's why I played in cover bands, because I could play music, I didn't have to think about it. I could just turn up at practice, learn the songs, go out and play them, you know. So yeah. that, that was a, it was a big, it was, it's a good relief valve. I would also think that what you learn as a, particularly as a performing musician, you know, when you're on stage, you have to be very present. Otherwise you're going to meander off and do something you don't intend to do. But as an, an emergency physician in particular, I would imagine you need to, to be disciplined about being present so that I'm just thinking also your, your experience as a performer would have helped with that. Yeah, maybe. you have to be present. You have to be present. And, and the other thing is in a band and in emergency medicine, you work in a team. Mm -hmm. okay? right. We call it a medical team there. We call it a band here. Mm -hmm. And it's not just you. you. You can write the song, but you need a band to flesh it out. And you, can't, you need them to bring the vision to life. When you're working in emergency, you have to win the trust and confidence of the team that you're leading mm -hmm. so that you can make those decisions and they will back you because they, they believe you and they, they, they have trust in you. And I loved working in emergency because right from the ambulance officers that brought them in to the social workers who came in to talk to the relatives, to the nursing staff, to the physiotherapists, it was a real team effort, which isn't always the same in medicine. It can be very silo, you know, mm -hmm. use your little group and that's all I do and that's all I do. We did everything. Mm -hmm. And so we called in all the teams. So, yeah, and in a band you do the same. Mm -hmm. you, know, you have your core band, but you're often recording. You'll bring in another session muso. You think, oh, we need someone who's got expertise to play this. So I, I guess, um, you know, I can see that sort of um, connection between the two, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you mentioned your parents, and, and we should talk about that because for those who don't know your parents, Slim Dusty and Joy McKean. Yeah. And you talking about teams makes me think about, you know, I've, I've read Joy's book, so I know how you grew up, particularly in your younger years. You were really in a team on the road, travelling mm. with Slim and Joy. Yeah. Uh, 
And so I think that's probably also part of it, or at least as far as I can tell, that you are used to that team environment from the beginning mm-hmm. where everyone mucked in, everyone shared the driving, yep. setting up the hall, and Joy's talked about, you know, sweeping yeah. out the hall and I saw all of that. It was there was nothing glamorous about it. This is what I say to people. I actually grew up seeing what was behind the stage. Mm-hmm. They all saw the glamour and glitz. Oh, it must have been amazing. I said, yeah, well, it was great. But I actually saw what it took, you know, exactly. I saw Dad and his guitarist, Barry Thornton, changing wheels, fixing axles, getting cars going, digging bogged cars out. Mum had me trained at five years of age of how to get out of a car and chop the wheels. And that was going up a, a, a riverbank crossing that the car would slide down with a caravan, mind you, on the back, and I was tra- trained to get out and put river rocks underneath the wheels. I mean, that's, that's what I had to do because Dad was driving the truck and I was in the car with Mum and right. she couldn't get out and do it. Yeah. And, I mean, yeah. It, and, and they were a family. I mean, this was, this was their community because you moved on from town to town to town. So, uh, yeah, they, they did show they were on the road for nine months. So mm-hmm. they were a very tight community and harmony was paramount you couldn't have pestering disagreements on the road it was it was death to your show so they were very adroit at keeping relationships under control but you know and managing people and uh yeah it was actually haven't really thought about it but there's all these connections about of being in a group of people that support each other Yeah. yeah But also you talking about, you know, keeping those and managing those relationships, keeping certain things under control, that's exactly what you would have had to do in emergency. Oh, oh yeah. Keeping all those exactly. personalities balanced. God, yeah, you know, you haven't known about bloody personalities till you've worked in a hospital. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you've got to deal with egos the size of balloons, you know. So <laughs> it's, a, it, yeah, it, it is hard work. And it really is managing people to get the best outcome for the person that matters, which is the patient. Yeah. So even though you grew up around music, um, it would have seemed an inevitability, but some kids rebel, you know, they think, I'm not going to do what my parents did. But for you, obviously, that was not the case. So at what age did you start learning an instrument or did you think to ask to learn an instrument? Yeah, well, well, I was. I was a typical obnoxious teenager and, and wouldn't learn anything. My parents tried to get me guitar lessons. They tried to get me piano lessons. So I eventually said, all right. I'll learn drums because I thought that was the most loud and obnoxious thing I could possibly learn. So I did learn drums and I did that for a couple of years and and that's how I first played in bands as a drummer Mm -hmm. and and a singer. Um, It was about year 10 um, I decided I want to learn to play guitar despite not wanting to learn from my father who tried to let me learn, which I should have. And I just rang him and said, uh, Dad, uh, yeah, I want to learn guitar. Uh, could, you set, could you spare me one of your guitars? And I had a Beatles songbook. Right. I was at boarding school, obviously, and I learned, that's how I learned guitar. I had chord diagrams in it. Mm-hmm. I used to go, we could go out on Saturday afternoons after we'd been playing sport, you know, in a couple of hours before we had to be back at boarding school. And there was a music shop. And remember, there was no internet or anything, so they used to have sheet music. You know, they'd have the books of all the music in it. I used to have sheets of paper in my school blazer. I'd walk in, I'd open, you know, Paul McCartney's Venus and Mars songbook, right? And 
I would learn it and I would look at the chords, memorize them, walk out, size them, write them down to a piece of paper. I'd mm. go back in and then I'd open the Harvest book by Neil Young. I, I memorized the entire Harvest book, the entire Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd, and the entire Venus and Mars songbook by Paul McCartney by walking in and out of Alan's music store and writing it down on a piece of paper afterwards. <laughs> and no and doubt, you're an ex-publisher. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, current publisher. No, current <laughs> publisher. Yeah, right. But that's the um, that's the yeah, that's what you do when you're a kid. You've got to yeah, you've got to find yeah. ways to learn what you want to learn. I had to learn, and so I, I taught myself guitar. And uh, I was a very rudimentary guitar player for a very long time. And uh, and then I was in a band up here on the Central Coast. And two weeks before our gig, I was just rhythm guitar and vocals. Our lead guitarist quit, and we had a gig in two weeks. And they just said to me, "All right, Dave, you got to learn all the lead parts." And bang! So the best thing that ever happened to me, and that actually pushed me into becoming a lead guitarist. And, uh, right. and yeah, it's, it's been fantastic ever since. I've really enjoyed it. <laughs> now, I'm curious as to when you started writing songs because, of course, Joy won the very first golden guitar for writing Lights on the Hill, and that's a daunting wordsmith to have in the oh, family. Yeah, yes, yes, it is. Um, well, uh, I tried to write. I wrote a few songs when I was at uni with my band, which were mm. uniformly dreadful. Um, so, uh, so, you know, that was fine and I never really tried again. Um, and then after dad had passed away a couple of years afterwards, we did the Slim Dusty family reunion album and we all said, okay, if we're going to do this, let's all try and write songs, original songs for it. So I sat down and that's the first time I really put my mind to writing it for a purpose. And. I wrote a song about Dad's car, his purple Fairlane. He went all around Australia in and called Old Purple. I wrote another song. I wrote a couple of songs. And that was the first time I'd really put my mind to it and wrote mm. a properly formed song. Um, and then, you know, that we did that and then I didn't do it again. I was back in at work. It's really since this band that I have had the time and to put the hard work in because it is hard work. It's not... It does, I mean, sure, you get inspired, you have an idea that inspires you, it can be a phrase, it can be a musical motive that I'm playing, and I'll usually get the, a tagline or a chorus or something or the first part, but then you've got to work at it, and so I've had the time to do that now. So I wouldn't call myself a songwriter until the last four years, and the most nerve-wracking thing in my life was when I played these songs I had written with this band and recorded to Joy and Anne. And that was terrifying because my mother, of course, whose hearing isn't as good now, insisted that I print out the lyric sheets so she could read them. And and I thought, oh, God, you know, I'm really in for it now. So because lyrics are so important and she was such a words. But, yeah, she was, she was great. She was very encouraging. Her and Anne have been terrific supporters for me. Yes, I imagine it, it might have felt like you were taking an essay to the hard marker when you <laughs> Oh yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I, 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 it's great, you know. Mum give me tips and on things. I mean, you know, you don't, you don't um, not take advice from someone who knows who's who's made a career like her of it. Yeah. <laughs> so, a life well lived is the first single release. Was that the first song you wrote for Two Tone Pony? No, no, it wasn't. Um, there's another song called Going Back was the actual very first one, which was 
inspired by me driving down the valley back to dad's childhood home in mm. Nulla Valley in from Kempsey. And the rest of the song isn't about dad or myself or any in particular, but it was the idea of someone returning to their boyhood home after leaving to find themselves. So really that was about. Um, we will re, re, we recorded some songs in the garage, basically of our rehearsal garage. And um, we, we've got about three or four really good songs from that, but the sound quality is not up to release uh, for radio. So we will re-record those. And uh, so A Life Well Lived was one of my earlier, certainly one of the earlier songs I did write and uh, was inspired by uh, giving an introductory speech for Joy's um, induction for a lifetime award at the Australian Performing Rights Association. That's the premier songwriting association in Australia. And I gave the introductory speech and, I, you know, it's a phrase as well known but I thought it, it was very apt for Joy's life. Mm -hmm. And I, when I was, I had a melody and I had an idea and I wrote the song around that phrase later on. Right. And then you took the song and some other songs to Rod McCormick to produce. I would imagine given your extensive knowledge of the music industry and your connections, you could have had your pick of producers. So I'm curious how Rod was, the, how it came to be the choice. Of course, he's a wonderful producer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know a lot uh, of Well, I've known Rod both as a musician and actually, we knew Rod from a social point of view, right back to our, our, our kids' preschool. So, um, uh, yeah, I've known Rod and Jeff, his brother, on and off on the Central Coast, and obviously Gina, Rod's wife, I know well. Um, it, I had been to his studio before. Anne and I have rehearsed in that studio. Rod and his brother, I was doing a, a, a fundraising concert at a friend's place for multiple sclerosis, and... I invited Anne up. My band was playing, but I said to Anne, why don't we come up and do a country bracket together? Mm. I said, that's great, but who's going to back us? I said, oh, I'll ring up Rod and Jeff and see if they'll do it. And, of course, they just did it, you know, out of the kindness of their heart. So we went and, and that's when I got to see his recording studio over at Erna and it, it's absolute purpose-built right. perfection of a studio. I mean, I mean, his credentials are, are impeccable. Um and we had recorded some songs in Sydney with, with Matt Fell, who's another very well-known country music producer, but unfortunately Matt then decided to move to Tasmania, so we couldn't follow him to Tasmania. And I said, well, you know, we've got a fantastic studio and a potential, you know, an amazing producer here on the Central Coast. Why don't I call Ron McCormack? And I was just really saying, I wonder if he'll, you know, take us on, so to speak. And, of course, yeah. Rod is an incredibly generous and uh, welcoming person. I mean, he's, he's, uh, his ear is, is fantastic. He, he doesn't impose himself on you. Mm -hmm. He listens, absorbs, makes you feel comfortable, and then he just says, he just picks how to, where the holes are in your song that you haven't seen yet and how it could be improved. And, yeah, it was a fantastic experience, particularly for a couple of my uh, mates in the band who have never been in a proper recording studio before. And it was a pretty daunting experience for them initially, but he just made them feel so comfortable that uh, it, was a, it was a joyous experience. Yeah. Um, so are you working towards an album, given that you recorded yeah. a few songs with Rod? Yeah. So yeah. I would imagine 
Yes, later, we're going later back this year. In the studio. We're going back in the studio next month, actually. Uh-huh. Uh, we shall get at least another four, maybe six songs down. So we will we're gonna we'll release another couple of singles throughout this mm-hmm. year. Um, and our aim is to we'll put an album out early next year. Okay. Uh, so we'll we'll have a, a good body of work. I mean, I've written enough songs and also Ian Rhodes, one of the other members, is a songwriter. So we've got enough material for two albums at right. least now and we're still writing songs in fact i had a couple of the band members here today playing them a new song that i'm writing so <laughs> um we're, we're, we're it's just continuing so uh we we just you know, we're in a slightly different position to most bands okay we're not 21 year olds starting mm-hmm. off trying to get to the top of the charts and and also we're not it's, we don't have make a living out of this mm. we are really doing it you know i know it sounds corny but we are doing this for the love of the music and we but we're also very professional we've been playing in bands for 40 plus mm. years we're very good musicians we're good performers we know how to do this so we want to do the best possible job and we are that's why we go to people like rob mccormack to record us um and what we want to do is we want to expand our horizon uh musically to get out and play to more festivals, get out to more people. And you can only do that if you get some songs out there, you get some, you know, uh, radio play, mm-hmm. so that promoters will take you on, basically. There's a lot of people out there wanting to get out and play, so you, yeah. you've got to push yourself, yeah. I mean, because you're saying you're doing it for the love of the music, which I don't think is corny at all, actually, but there's so much power in in choosing to do it. You're not doing it because, as you said, you're not starting out, so it's not an ego thing. It's not like you're trying no. to prove yourself. You're not trying to make money out of it. You, you're putting your energy and time into it because you choose to, and that, that is, that's such a, an admirable, wonderful thing for audiences to see. I think so. I mean, I think people can tell that we're really genuine in what we're doing and that, you know, we're really enjoying ourselves. Yeah. And um, in, and also we, we are trying to, you know, we, we, we've got such a broad influence of stuff. This first release is certainly down the acoustic sort of ballady style mm. of our, our, but we've got songs we record that go right to the other end to sort of Neil Young full-on electric style songs. Right. I mean, Neil Young's a, one of my heroes because I just love that he can go across all of those fields and, and, and still be relevant in all of them. Um, it's... It is like that. I mean, it, 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 we are doing it because uh, we genuinely love playing music. We, we and I, it, there's something, you know, it, it, there is something magical when a song. There's every. There's only usually three or four songs in a set that really, really click. And when they do, everyone sort of just looks at each other and goes, "Wow, that 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 really worked," you know. And <laughs> and when it's one of the songs that you've written yourself, mm-hmm. it's even better. It's a, such a great feeling when when what you've been working on suddenly clicks and and it sounds really good. And yeah, you know, we we certainly um, mix it up with covers of our favourite bands and influences. And I think that audiences want that. It's good that they have something else to that they can understand that that's relevant to them straight away and that that that's uh, accessible. But and actually, then they are much more inclined to listen to some of your songs. So that's yeah. fine. We're not indulgent, I suppose is, is the word. Um, and uh, you know, I, I'm I'm I understand that people come to be entertained and and they want to yeah. get it out. And but if we give quality music, then hopefully they will be entertained. Yeah. 
Well, and yes, if you're enjoying yourselves, there is a high likelihood the audience is because you know, it's not always the case. You can often go to a gig, not usually in country music, but other sorts of gigs when the performer looks like they'd rather be anywhere else and it puts so much pressure on the audience to try to make them feel better. <laughs> no one has a good time. Yeah, no, that's right. You start to wonder, well, look, if you feel like that, why are you bothering? That's mm. right. And, you know, don't whinge to me about, you know, the pressures of of fame or whatever. You know, you choose to do this, you know. And you don't have to do it if you don't want to, you know. So. <laughs> now, I should say, you mentioned Ian Rhodes uh, as another songwriter. I'm, I'm surprised that you and Ian have not decided to change your names to something that starts with G because the other three members have names starting with G. <laughs> well, we were called The Grid, which was... Oh. Originally, our bass player was a, a bloke, another mate of mine called Rob Scott. So there was there was Greg, Rob, Ian and David. Right. And we had the grid. And then when Glenn joined, it was okay because he was still a G. Yeah. So it was all right. But uh, we then found out that there was a band in Adelaide, the grid, that there was a, 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 a electro group in, in uh, Manchester called the grid. And then there was a, a rap group in uh, Pittsburgh called the groups. All right. So we had to, we had to change. And we had a song uh, uh, called Two Tone Pony, which um, which was a collaboration between Ian and myself. Actually, I had the rockabilly tune, but I couldn't have I didn't have lyrics. And um, Ian Ian has a very um, quirky, different approach to to lyrics and words than I do, which is a good counterbalance. I'm a bit more earnest at times, so it's good to have someone else who has a different slant on life. I mean. Ian comes from a very different background. Ian's heroes are sort of Nick Cave and Iggy Pop, and uh, he was very well came from a punk background and then morphed, as a lot of punks did, into, into you know, well, Nick Cave, you know, there's a big difference from birthday party to what Nick Cave does now on, mm-hmm. on piano, you know. So, and Ian's doing down that journey as well, and he writes some really insightful quirky but very melodic songs now so he wrote the lyrics to two-tone pony informed me what a two-tone pony was being a ford mustang gto convertible yeah. and uh, and then when we were looking for a name it was sort of we couldn't you know how difficult it is to find a band name that hasn't been taken there yeah. are website there are bands uh, band name generator apps oh, right. so you put in all this stuff and it spits all this stuff out and it just came up with the most ridiculous names. And eventually after about two months, I was just going, I was looking at our song list and went, Two-Tone Pony, what's wrong with that? And, <laughs> and so that's what we went with. And, and it certainly has piqued people's interest, you know, and given us a, given us a motive, you know, with the car yeah, and stuff to go with, yeah. Yeah. Um, it strikes me that uh, you just have a, a, a pretty boundless curiosity for life, music, all sorts of things, and that that gives you this energy to try new projects. Um, when a lot of people might think, oh, you know, music's hard, the music industry is changing so much all the time, oh, I can't be bothered yeah. getting into it, but clearly that's not the case for you. No, actually, it's, I think it's, it's been absolutely fascinating because I grew up, going into Studio 301 at EMI, watching Dad put an album down in a week's time with reel-to-reel tapes that were this big, you know, just like the Beatles did. And um, so, I mean, I spent time uh, every Christmas holidays in January. We would come back up to Sydney for two weeks in January for Dad to record an album. And I would spend a week or so running around EMI studios, you know, when I was 8, 9, 10. And... uh, watching all these musicians come into a studio, watching the, re- the 
recording engineers, watching them cut the tape with, with a razor blade to put things together. So that was my idea of the music industry. Right. Move forward to 2023, and now you've got to learn about digital streaming providers and when you should be dropping singles and all this sort of stuff and, you know, your video YouTube channel that you've got to have. So <laughs> it's been fascinating. And actually, again, it's a great group. Um, effort, you know, where my brother-in-law, Greg Richardson, was a studio manager and audio engineer for Radio National for 30 years. Right. So he manages our website. He does all our audio for videos and everything. He's a, like that. Um, you know, Graham Puglisi was a computer IT security tech, you know, so he's got all these other computer skills. So it all, it all works in together. We've all worked out how we can challenge these challenges which i i've just really enjoyed i've loved it you know i, I did the artwork for the single release on spotify and it i've just been having a ball it's been great <laughs> I just, I, <laughs> sorry go on you're gonna say oh well i mean you know i mean my wife says to me i thought we were retiring you know and then now you, you've just taken up this second career she never saw me as being an overly social person now i used to go ah oh, facebook you know what's that now she says you're on Facebook posting stuff all the day. You got your Instagram account. You got your web page updates. <laughs> uh, well, so we you'll be starting your own podcast. Who knows? Yeah, well, who knows? That's right. Actually, that's that would be good. Yeah, Greg could do that. Yeah. <laughs> But look, look, it's wonderful. And I think it also, um, what you just told me explains why the song is so great, because even though it's Two-Tone Pony's first song, it is a it is a mature song. It's yeah. um, it's a it's a very well-constructed song. Um, as, as it's, a, it's a song well-made for a life well-lived. So, um, yeah, yeah th- yes, more a comment than a question. Yeah, well, I'm pleased to hear that because, I mean, that's how I, I hope that our music does come across because... Um, yeah, they are. I, I, I do take time. I, I don't want to throw away verse or something, you know. The third verse is always the hardest one to write off on because, you know, how does it continue on? But it, it it's it's worth putting in that extra effort. I, I just, It just sounds bad to me if it's just I know. If I don't believe in what I'm singing, I, I can't do it with conviction. So I really want the lyrics have got to be good and, and the music's got to be good. And so... Um, you know, I've got plenty of songs downstairs in my music room that that we we don't play. You know, that I've written because I've actually got to get it out of my system. Even if I think I don't think this is going to be that good, I've got to get it out of my system. Finish writing it, and then I can move on to another one. Yeah. And we've tried them, and we've actually performed some of them, and then we've gone, ah, no, it's not really for the band. And and I I trust the band's instincts. You know, they mm-hmm. all of us have got to all of us have got to feel the song is good and mm. to us if we're going to play it. So if people want to see you playing live, do you often play around the Central Coast or are you planning to travel? We are planning to travel. I mean, we, we are really just about to try and start promote ourselves a bit outside of the Central Coast in Sydney. Mm. We've, had a, we've had a very good um, sort of uh, residency, even though, you know, at uh, Hardy's Bay Club on the mm. Central Coast, which is a special club, which was a RSL, but very strong local community in the Hardy Bay. It's a little bit of an enclave uh, down the peninsula. And they wouldn't have poker machines in Mm -hmm. in in the club. And eventually the RSL said, well, we can't make it financially viable. And they closed it. 
and all the locals said, well, we're not putting up with this. So they banded together, put together a, a local committee. They reopened the club initially just on Friday and Saturday nights. Now it's open all the time. They have their restaurant back. It's a venue for local bands. So, mm -hmm. so they, they were the first place that said, yeah, yeah, come and play, you know. So and we've got a we also have a very great local following of friends here and uh we they had no idea you know what the band was or who we are and they just had a few you know volunteer staff on 300 people turned up at our first gig and they were just what <laughs> they ran out of food they ran out of beer they ran out you know it was sort of like and then it was like, wow, when can you guys come back again? You know, yeah, right. so, um, it's been very good. Um, and uh, we're very humbled that, uh, you know, the local community has taken us on, not just our friends, but the Hardy's Bay community have taken mm -hmm. us on. And whenever we play there, they turn up in droves. So it's great. So, yes, we will be getting out. We're actually doing our first interstate gig in July. We're going to Charleville right. in Queensland, um, playing a festival up there. And... Uh, we, yeah, we have plans really for 2024 to start getting out and doing more stuff, yeah. And we'll keep people updated on our website, yeah. Well, you mentioned the socials on the website, so clearly, yes, these things will be updated. And I could keep yeah. you talking for hours because I'm sure there's a lot more to ask you, but I will leave you to your evening because you know you don't have other things to do. David, it's been such a great pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for your time. Thanks very much, Sophie. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Sunburnt Country Music Podcast. For more Australian country music interviews and reviews and other things, go to sunburntcountrymusic.com or to Sunburnt Country Music on Instagram, Facebook and TikTok.